0: Are you a child of God? Are you chosen, not forsaken? Is God for you, not against you? That is something to lean into, to grasp and to point your life toward how you live the rest of your days on this earth forward. You know... Having Prem here is just a reminder that we are are on this stage of history. That God is going to bring to close at His pleasure, at His perfect timing. I think about what's happened with the nullifying of Roe v. Wade. And where are we in history, in salvation history, and what God is going to do? Is that going to Move things forward for the gospel to go forward? And maybe will it bring more persecution? Possibly. But is our confidence in our constitution or is it the fact that I am who I, he says I am? Who God has made me? That's the confidence that we need to move forward in. A couple weeks ago, and oh, by the way, I need to dismiss children for children's church. Sorry, I just got distracted here. That's ages 4 through 1st grade. You can head up the north door and follow Mr. Wenzel. See, Oliver. A couple weeks ago, we started out looking again at Paul's letter to the Colossians. Chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life, appears, you will appear also with Him in glory. You see, if you are in Christ, if you're raised in Christ, we're not living just for this world. We're living for what God has for us in eternity. And what we do here makes all the difference for what reward we receive, Drawing others to him. That they might be reconciled to the living God. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So now the Apostle Paul is going to drill down to kind of another level. Because this world is not in sync with the kingdom of God. It's in rebellion against it. And it wants us to be in rebellion against it. And our own flesh is still infected by the old man, by our flesh, by our earthly members. Last time we talked about we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must not keep our eyes on this world. And we must keep our eyes on Jesus because he is our life and he is our future. But now Paul is helping us to take off those old ways of life, to put those things to death, those behaviors that we cling to sometimes because somehow they give us a semblance of our identity or security or even we think that we have to hold on to these things for life itself. But we have a new identity. We have a new life. And we can put on Christ. So before I go any farther, let me just pray. And then we'll dig into God's word for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came for us. That you are for us, not against us. And because of you, we are not forsaken. We are chosen. We are children of the living God in you. And Lord, if there's somebody today who has not discovered that treasure of who you are, would you draw that man, that woman to yourself? Help them to cross that that line. Help them to be born again, Lord, doing them what they cannot do themselves. But take these words today, take your word today, and do your work in our hearts. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Verse 5, chapter 3 of Colossians. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Again, we live in a world that is... Wanting to give itself over to passion. If it feels good, do it. And if you can't do that, what's wrong with you? And within us, we have some things that want to hold on to those things as well. But Paul's saying, put to death the passions that are prompting God's wrath. If you're raised with Christ... You've been reconciled to him by Christ's physical body, as chapter 1, verse 22 talks about. You've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and been brought into the the kingdom of his Son, whom God the Father loves. Chapter 1, verse 13 talks about. You have a new identity, you have a new loyalty, you have a new destiny, and because Christ is in you, you have a new ability. And that is to put those things off. It's the reality that Paul brings out in his second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So, stop acting like you did when you belonged to the kingdom of this world. Stop acting as though you need these things to navigate this life. Christ is your life. Put these earthly members, these this earthly nature to death. Don't negotiate with it. Don't have a conversation saying, "Hey, we can work some things out." No. Put these things death. This is not, again, a negotiation. It's a search and destroy mission. But sometimes we're holding on to these things like we need them. And the first is sexual immorality. Put it to death. In the Greek, it's the word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. But it is... Sexual expression outside of what God has revealed. Now notice I didn't say put sex to death. I didn't say put sex to death. We would have no more child dedications. That would be a problem. But more so, understand that sex is God's gift to us. But as a context, that is marriage between one man and one woman in that exclusive holy covenant of marriage. And anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And the question for us is, can we trust God with our sexuality? Can I allow him to be Lord of that very important but strong urge? And unfortunately, the world around us uses it in a different way. It views sex as recreation. It's true then, it's true now. It views it as something that's appropriate for even casual relationships. Just trying things on, like a suit or a pair of pants. We think it's the only way to express true love in a relationship. It's the highest value of a romantic relationship. You know, is the sex good? Sometimes we see it as a right. Some people see it as they need it to live. If I don't have sex, I'm going to die. Some people see it in our society as an identification, identity. My sexuality is my identity. Again, sex is God's gift to us in the right context. But in the wrong context, it's kryptonite. It is destructive. It brings unwanted pregnancies, single-parent families, heartache, destruction of marriage, sexually transmitted disease. It cheapens this gift. And sometimes it even creates a reluctance to enter into marriage because why would I want to do that? I'm already getting all the benefits of it, right? And for the believer, it's not what God intended. You have a new nature. I have a different way of you behaving in this area. And there's a profound impact when we start to rebel against God in this area. The Apostle Paul addressed this to the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Again, don't stick around and have a conversation with it. Flee from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Christ comes to dwell within you, folks, if you're in Christ, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When I enter into sexual immorality, I am dragging Jesus who dwells within me into that illicit relationship. That is not appropriate. And I'm not looking to shame people. I'm just trying to tell you what God is saying. How weird to handle this precious gift. Not using your toothbrush like to clean a toilet. It's a precious gift. And we should not be misusing that. And if you've stepped over that, this is not the unforgivable sin. Jesus came to die for these things. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, look, this is what the lifestyle you used to live in. But now that you're in Christ, stop it. But if we keep doing it, and we keep doing this without repenting from it, it's like, don't you understand that God's going to bring this into judgment? Those who don't think this is a big deal, listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse, seven, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God is the, will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. No. Submit this area of your life unto Christ. Take off that old nature, that old habit even though your flesh may be crying out against it, and it's going to be it may be tough if you've been entering into that, your flesh may be crying out against it there's a spiritual, emotional physical thing that's going on there in that, but it needs to be put to death, you may have to be ruthless with that it may mean cutting off certain i don't know maybe. Putting a filter on your computer. Something that's or maybe it's cutting off a relationship or even moving out. Are you entering into this? You need to put that to death. Paul starts out again with sexual immorality. But he kind of ramps things down into the next level. Impurity. This also could be along the lines of sexual purity. Pushing the boundaries along the line of the person asking, so, so how far can I go without crossing the line? And I don't mean to throw our youth under the bus, but I've worked with youth. This is a typical question in a youth group. How far can I go without crossing that line? what can I do, what can I touch, what can I see? And unfortunately, we're asking the wrong question with that because the desire of that question is to how much can I allow myself to be stimulated before I've crossed the line rather than how can I keep myself pure before a holy God? We're heading down the wrong pathway. We're failing to see our heart attitude is self-gratification rather than glorifying God and taking off our flesh. We fail to see that sex is a continuum. It's not just the act. It's from point A all the way to point Z. And we want to go all the way to point X. And screech and put on the brakes right at the the edge of the cliff. Unfortunately, that creates greater desire, greater frustration because we're trying to grasp at forbidden fruit. We're flirting with greater sin. And it reduces sometimes those relationships to what what can I get off of that person? Sensuality. It's not viewing the other person in the image of God with whom we're supposed to treat with all purity according to 1 Timothy five two. If you're in Christ, you weren't created for impurity. You weren't created to try and push the edges. You're created to be pure before Him. Put that to death. And it heads down to the next level of lust. That's what's going on in our head, in our hearts. Playing the game of, playing the what-if game. What if we were in a sexual relationship? What would that be like? What would that feel like? We're feeding fantasy. One of the things that I cannot stand in married men is when they're looking at a gal and I know they're ogling them in their eyes and and they'll deny it, but I know something is going on there. And then if you challenge it, say, hey, 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 I'm just looking, not touching. First of all, they don't understand that you're sowing something that may be re- a seed you may regret in the future. But second of all, Jesus' words that, look, if you look at a woman so as to have lust for her, you're committing adultery in your own heart. You are sowing at least the seed of infidelity, of unfaithfulness to your spouse. And I don't care if you're single. You shouldn't be sowing that seed in yourself either, because you're sowing the seed of objectifying somebody. An object that will fulfill my desire, rather than looking at them as a full person that you receive all of who they are. You want to know why, why pornography is so destructive? Is because it feeds a fantasy game that your real life spouse cannot live up to. There's feeding something that is a fantasy that's not true and it just brings destruction to your relationships. Put that to death. And here's another version of it that's taken place unfortunately in our time. It's the internet. Not only is Horn coming to us. Not only images are coming to us, but social media. Hmm. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's that old relationship you had years ago, and that person is reaching out to you. Hey, how's it going? Just wondering. Just wondering. I don't know if that's happened. If it's not happen to you, it just might. A few years ago, I had somebody reach out to me, a gal I had a relationship with in middle school. It's like, really? I did not respond. I had not talked to that person since ninth grade. Why are you reaching out to me now? But to open that Pandora's box is to enter into that, oh, I wonder what. I wonder if. And you sow those seeds, at the very least, they sow infidelity toward your spouse. At the worst, they sow an affair, an inappropriate relationship. The church has not been... Exempt of those things. That's why Paul's saying, put those things to death. Take those thoughts captive for Jesus Christ. Mar- you know, and you may be walking through a, an establishment, you see an attractive person. You know what, Martin Luther said, you know what, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can sure stop them from making a nest in my hair. Let it go. Set your eyes on Jesus. And if you're married, set your eyes on your spouse. Evil desire. What you want to do that's in conflict with God's Word, what He's revealed, what you think will be a good outcome in your own wisdom, in your own thinking, Here's the thing, though. If you're in Christ and you know this, He is the only source of what is good, what is right. And it can be in the area of sexual nature stuff, but it could be some other area where you're failing to love God and you're failing to love others who are made in the image of God. It could be jealousy. It could be Disdain for another. It could be trying to take advantage of somebody. They have something. Maybe you could get, them, get that from them by deceiving them. Or stealing it. They'd never know. Or cheating them. And here's another lie that's out there, folks. Especially youth. It's only wrong if you get caught. That is a lie. from the pit of hell. And that goes from your schoolwork to your business dealings. That is evil desire. You see, evil desire is typically self-desire that's in contrast with what God has said. Put it to death. And then the last thing that Paul has on his list here is greed. He says, which is idolatry? Interesting comment, isn't it? Greed, which is idolatry. It is the lie that the more stuff I have, the more life I have. That is deception. Your life is not your stuff. Your life is not your stuff. It is Jesus Christ, especially if you have put your faith in him. The apostle Paul, I mean, Jesus himself issues this warning. He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. And then he went on to tell the story of the rich fool. A man who struck the agrarian lottery. Had his barns full. More and more and more. And then he sat back and says, okay, self, soul. Take it easy. Enjoy life. You've got many things stored up for you and then he dies and Jesus is saying he's a fool because he invested solely in himself himself because he thought his life was in his stuff in his possessions when it isn't God and folks this is a trap that it's real easy for us to fall into isn't it materialism the next thing I get will bring me joy. That next Amazon order. Oh, that cool device. That piece of clothing. Oh, I'm going to get it. and I'm going to love it. It's going to be great. That boat. That house. That cabin. Then I'll be happy. It's fool's gold. Because you may enjoy it for the moment, but then afterwards, like, this uh, isn't as good as I thought it would be. Don't buy into that lie. Don't buy into that lie. You know, the Lord's going to ask us what we did with the things he gave us. Did we spend it all on ourselves? Or did we invest in his kingdom? Jesus is saying, hey, Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Invest in the kingdom of God. You'll have treasure in heaven. And folks, I know people get a little funny when the pastor starts talking about money or possessions. But let me tell you, if you invest in the kingdom of God, you will never regret it. In fact, I think we'll look back and say, I wish I'd given more. And just as as a way of application... After this meeting, our members and regular attenders, we're going to have a meeting about our budget, and it's going to be a stretch budget. But the question is going to be: Our hearts, do we do we value Christ and His kingdom? You know, again, let's go back to Roe v. Wade. Many of us rejoice in that in that that ruling, but now, are we going to support? Ministries like New Life, are we going to be willing to invest in adoption for those unwanted children? Will we value what Christ values with our possessions? That's going to be the challenge for us. Do we say, Lord, this is all yours. Do with it what you will for your kingdom. Because going the other direction, the more stuff I have, or I'll be happy when, that's, that's greed, that's idolatry. That's saying that something else other than God can bring my soul satisfaction. It's not true. It's a lie. So let me say one last thing about putting things to death. You know, I had a, thoughts of how I was going to illustrate this kind of hold up a placard and I like, cut it in two with a machete. yeah, Burn it. I guess the fire marshal didn't like that thought. But here's the truth. All those things, we think we can bury them or put them away with kind of one and done thing and it's not true. Because that same thing is going to come back to me tomorrow. It's going to come back to you tomorrow. It's going to tempt you. It's going to say, hmm, let's try again. Are you sure? Are you sure you should put this to death? What it is, it's a daily starving of those things. Not feeding those things. Not giving in to those things. But putting our eyes on Christ and what he says is valuable. What he says is going to last. What he says, he values. See, there's going to be a moment where you're going to be certain, yeah, I need to put that to death. But again, that thing's going to come back to you tomorrow. We are putting that to death on a daily basis. And I wish the Greek had a continual thing. It's actually in the aorist, which means a one-time thing. But the truth of the matter is, Christian life is daily putting those things to death, to death. That's why Jesus says, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Not just a one and done thing. Again, realizing that this is the background that we've all come from. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Put off. Put off these payback practices of your previous person. I call these payback practices practices, because each one of them has some kind of element of, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to somehow bring about my own justice, if you will. And initially, I thought about putting on these shirts and having each one of these things on my shirt and kind of taking them off and all that type of stuff. I just decided I wasn't going to risk the wardrobe malfunction here. But let's go through them anyway. Anger. Did you know anger is never a pure emotion in itself? The root of it is either you feel hurt or violated by somebody, or you're fearful that someone might harm you, or number three, you're frustrated. It's not moving forward, I'm being blocked. And the reason we cling on to anger sometimes is because we feel like we have a right to hurt somebody. To punish somebody else for what they did to us. For the harm that they're threatening. And we want to be judge, jury, and executioner. It can be expressed in our words and it can be expressed in our actions. Here's the problem. James 1.20 says, Be quick to hear... Slow to speak and slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. That's what I want you to cling to. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. I cannot be the just judge. It will always be skewed. It will always be skewed in my sight, not in God's sight. I cannot be that person. I can be angry and not sin, but I can't act on it to be the judge, jury, and executioner. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Not because God is a vengeful God, but because God is the only just, just judge. In fact, when we harbor anger in our heart, Jesus says it's it's akin to murder. Because in our mind, we're thinking, oh, I could get back at her. If I could get back at him, this is what I would do. And it's good that we don't act on those things. But you're developing a heart attitude that's contrary to who you are in Christ. Again, I'm not saying you can't be angry. Because there's some things we should be angry about. But when we act on that anger to bring about our own justice, we're often falling short. We need to take that off. Take that off. And you know what? If you, There are some folks that have been so hurt that they just harbor an angry spirit all the time, Right? They just harbor it. And it manifests itself in the next thing. It escalates itself in rage. Rage is the next thing we need to take off. And which is uncontrolled anger. It's often doing indiscriminate damage and harm to those around you, whether they deserve it or not. I'm so angry. It's the incredible Hulk. It just rips everything around it in collateral damage. Whether somebody had anything to do with what you're angry about or not. I think about how King David was saved from that one time. Maybe you've read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You see, while David was on the run, he was out in the field with a group of shepherds. and All the sheep were owned by a man named Nabal. And David and his men, they took it upon themselves to take care of Nabal's sheep and his shepherds. And so when the time came for Nabal to do his shearing, you know, David said, hey, I'm just going to send greetings and see if they'll, you know, extend a little courtesy to us for that. So David sends a contingency, a representative group. And Nabal totally insults David. Insults his men. Says, who is David? This man who's rebelling against his master. Isn't the land full of those? So they come back and report to David, and David is ticked. And he says, guys, strap on your sword. We're going down, and blood will flow. Fortunately for Nabal, he had a wise wife named Abigail who sees what happens, quickly grabs some food, some wine, and meets David halfway there. Because David basically says, I'm going to kill everybody. There's not going to be one male standing, whether they're guilty or not, in Nabal's household. Because it's Nabal's fault. And he is responsible for all the blood that's going to be spilled. That's rage. I'm not responsible because you made me angry. And Abigail meets him and really intervenes for David's sake. Let not my Lord spill innocent blood. And he says, praise the Lord that he sent you here to stop me. Because if you weren't here, by tomorrow everyone would have been dead. That's rage. See, rage says, I'm so angry, it, it merits the damage. That's what happened in, up in Minneapolis with the riots a couple summers ago. This is so bad, we're so angry about it, it doesn't matter that innocent businesses, black or white, are burning. No. 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 That's not appropriate for our society. It's not appropriate for the Christian. We need to take that off. Malice. And malice is, if you've taken any Latin language, tells you what it is. The word mal or malo means bad. In French or in Spanish or in Latin, It is hurtful intent toward another. It's a bad desire. A bad result for them. Whether that's in your actions or your words. It is hate. The words, you did that on purpose fit this bill. It's what Cain had in mind when he said, Hey, Abel, let's go take a walk in the field. It's what Joseph's brothers had in mind when they sold him into slavery. It was malice. It's what we have in mind when we gossip about someone else to malign their reputation in the eyes of another. It is wanting evil, wanting bad for another. And it's contrary to our Savior who came to rescue evil men and women, that's all of us, by the way, folks, It's contrary to our Heavenly Father. Jesus says this in His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 47. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that they may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what what reward do you have? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that, but be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I can't do that, God. You're right. But I can do that through you. I can come in and cause you to make steps that direction because of who I am. Malice has no place for someone who has been redeemed from their sin and the rebellion against the Holy God. That needs to come off. And then slander. The word can be translated blasphemy as well. It's verbal verbal malice is what it is. Created to harm the reputation of another. And some of it may have substantiation in some truth. But slander never needed truth to go forth. The goal is harm. The goal is harm of another. Whether that's to block them from an opportunity, for them to lose their role. Isn't that what cancer cult- cancel culture is in our society these days? Whether it's to create a rift between someone and, and them and somebody else, or just to degrade someone in the eyes of another. Slander verbally. Did you hear about? Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what they said? Can you believe that? Did you see? Now, here's the truth when we're operating in slander, we actually find ourselves in league with Satan, with the serpent. Because the first thing he did was try and slander God. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Is that what he said? Question the rules. And then say, you surely won't die. How'd that work out? One out of one is dying question God's integrity, question God's intent. We find ourselves in league with Satan when we're slandering somebody else. Do we justify tearing down somebody else verbally and looking to do harm? Slander. It doesn't belong in the life of a believer. Take it off. Take it off. Filthy language from your lips. That is words used to soil those around who hear those words. And you know, we oftentimes hide this in the guise of I'm just keeping it real. I'm just being authentic. Because we don't want to have any filter or any guard on our thoughts. It may manifest itself in crude humor used to shock or embarrass another. In its worst form, it's used to attack, demean, degrade, devalue another. And sometimes it's a perverse sense of power. Look how I've degraded you and you can't come back at me, right? Or you don't have the words. We see things like you're nothing but a dirty blah, 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 blah. It happens between rivals, sometimes in an athletic locker room. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation where that's happened. With a teammate, between teammates, guys jockeying for position through verbal, filthy language towards each other. Or even worse, it happens in families. You're nothing but you'll never amount to. And damage is done. And it's almost irreparable. And those kids, those family members carry those things for a lifetime. What a tragedy. And I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you as a brother and a pastor. If that is you, you need to repent of that. Because you are doing nuclear damage to your family. And you need to come to Jesus and ask him to change you. Because that is sowing seeds of death and destruction in your family. I'm not here to judge you, but I am here to admonish you. Don't Plant those seeds of destruction in your family. Ephesians 4.25 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they may benefit those who listen. If you are spewing forth filthy language from your lips repent of that. Say, Jesus, I need you to get a hold of my tongue. And I know it's been fashionable in the past for pastors to swear from up front. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. That doesn't build the kingdom up. We need to take that off. And last of all, lying to each other. Verse 9, and do not lie to each other since you have taken off Your old self with its practices. That's the old you. Take that off. Take it off. Take off your old man, your old person. Verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So here's the answer. You take those things off, and you put on Christ, who's making you like himself. You put on Christ, who is making you like himself. In relation to lying or telling the truth, here's the truth. Our Lord Jesus tells the truth. In fact, he says, I am the truth. So why would we want to operate any differently than that if we're putting on Christ? We need to be truth tellers. And in relationship to our Lord, we are called to cooperate With his change in our life. Again, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But this is a slow process of God making us like his son. We're being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our Creator. That's a process of God making me more like Jesus, of making you more like Jesus. But it's the truth of what Paul already said in this this letter, is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear also with him in glory. And his glory will be revealed in us, what he's been doing in us, and then it will finally finish it. But that's the only way I can put off I can put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed. It's the only way I can put off anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from my lips and telling the truth. I have to put on Christ. I have to put him on. And here's the question: Have you put on Christ, or are you? trying to do all this yourself, you know I know God doesn't like sin so I'm, I'm trying to strap my belt up but, you know, a little tighter and, and do it you can't you can't do it in your flesh this is Holy Spirit work it is Christ in you doing it and that doesn't mean you don't cooperate with Him, it doesn't mean you don't make choices but you can't do this yourself In fact, you, you don't have the resources and you don't have the life of Christ in you to do that. But that could change today. To as many as him, those who received him, even those who believe in his name, what Christ done, did in living a life we couldn't live, paying a penalty we couldn't pay, conquering a foe we couldn't conquer, you could have his life today in you. And I'll pray about that at the very end here. But we're taking off this old person, this old man, this old identity, and putting on Christ. And last here, putting on Christ removes the old identities that separate us. Verse 11, here, where's here? In Christ. There's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all certainly when Paul wrote this, this was revolutionary. Maybe after 2,000 years, we don't realize this. But Jesus removes those barriers that keep us from each other. Whether they're ethnic or national, Greek or Jew, whether they're religious backgrounds, circumcised or uncircumcised, whether they're educational or cultural, barbarian or Scythian or social economic strata, slave or free. Jesus is saying, I've removed all that. If you are in Christ, you are family. You are brothers and sisters. That's why we can welcome our sister Prem with open arms. Because she is in Christ. And we are united with her in Christ. What a great thing. And one day we will stand around the throne of grace. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every educational background, every social strata, proclaiming the praises of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, there's much more to put on. We're going to talk about that next week. But we are to operate in that new identity, to take off these things that belong to our earthly nature, and to put on Christ, and all that that means. So let me pray for us, and then I'll have the worship team come and close us. Lord Jesus, again, what we're talking about is supernatural work. And there are pragmatic applications to this, but at the end of the day, it has to be what you do in us and through us. And so, Lord, if there's somebody in this room today who is looking to white-knuckle all these things in their own effort... Would you cause them to put you on, Lord Jesus? For, Father, you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son that whosoever believes in him, in Jesus Christ, will not perish but have everlasting life. And you do your amazing, transforming work. So if that's you today, receive by faith what he has given his son, that will come and take residence in you, will cause you to be forgiven, cause you to become a child of God, cause you to be born again, and cause you to have eternal life and a glorious future. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come in. Forgive my sin. Change me. Make me your own. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to operate in the identity of who we are, of those who've been raised by Christ, and are raised with Him. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.